Hey, Sycamore View Church, and to others who are tuning in with us today, we're so glad you're here as a part of our worship service. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to my own mother, Beverly Ross. I haven't seen her since the holidays. This, uh, all this COVID-19 is kind of keeping a lot of us from seeing each other, but there is no way I would have the faith in God and the love for Jesus and just the belief in the power of the Holy Spirit as I do today without my mother's influence in my life. And I also give thanks for all the other women, whether they are still alive in this world or not, who have played a part in nurturing my faith. I'm thankful for my own wife uh, and how amazing she is in every aspect of life, but especially when it comes to being a mother. Casey, you were, you were terrific. There were a lot of milestones, a, number, a few milestones in my family. Uh, right around this time, my oldest son is now a teenager. Last Tuesday, I have a 13-year-old in my house, so please pray for us. On Tuesday, my oldest son, Truett, Decided for his 13th birthday, he wanted to raise money. It was also National Giving Day. He wanted to raise money for Agape. So the goal was he wanted to make 500 free throws and raise $500 for Agape. And he wanted me to shoot with him. So we, our goal was to make 500 free throws. So we made a competition out of it. He would shoot 10, then I would shoot 10. I don't think it's important for any of you to know who won. That's, that's not what this was about. It was about raising money. Uh, he did beat me. And one thing you don't want to show as a dad is that you were as sore as you were when you did something like that. So I don't want him to see when I'm popping in some ibuprofen or trying to ice down my arm. But thankful for over 48 people who gave to his cause. And our goal of 500, we far surpassed that. We ended up raising $2,021 for a 13th birthday. So thank all of you for, for uh, who helped us out. Because his birthday was Tuesday, it means Case, today is Casey's 14th. Mother's Day and tomorrow is our 18th wedding anniversary and uh, so some of you may be trying to do the math of how old am I or how old is Casey we got married when we were 14 or 15 that's all you need to know all right but now our marriage is an adult and, and there are a lot of milestones some of you are celebrating right now or because of milestones you're reminded right now of losses in your life some of you today brings up all different kind of emotions and last Sunday was supposed to be senior Sunday where we honor a lot of the graduates in the life of our church and we're not able to do that there's a loss of graduation there a loss of weddings a loss of having funerals the way we want to do funerals a loss of job I mean there's so many things right now that we just feel like there's a loss there's even a loss in what church is like. There's not a loss of church. We're still, we're still engaged, but I think we know that like church isn't meant to be seen through a screen and only through a screen. We miss people. We miss interactions. We miss connection. The best way I've heard it described is a lot of us love going to the beach. I've told you before, my wife is a beach person. She needs one beach experience at least once a year. And what I've done for her over Christmas now for a number of years is I buy her a 12-month calendar that has pictures of the beach. So every month of the year, there's a place in her house where she can go and she can look at the beach. And sometimes she needs that. She just needs to go in that room, look at that, uh, look at that calendar, see a picture of the beach, and it can send her to a happy place. And you can watch, you can look at pictures of the beach, you can watch videos of, uh, videos of the beach, but there is nothing like putting your feet in the sand. 
And, and I think it's what, what it's like with church right now too. I mean, some of you, let's just be honest, you're comfortable. You love right now sitting there on your couch because nobody's going to take your seat on the couch like they may take your seat on the pew or in, inside of a worship center. You can wear your pajamas and go to church and sip on coffee and eat snacks and whatever else may be there. But there's nothing like being in relationships with people, handing them the bread and the cup and all these other things. So hopefully here sometime over the next months, at some point in phase two, we'll begin all offering some in-person worship experiences again. And our message to you when we do that is this, that at your pace, when you are ready, we'll be here to receive you. We're all going to be moving at different paces and we want to protect the vulnerable among us. But when you're ready, we'll be here to receive you. So pay attention to communication pieces coming out uh, over the next few weeks. Open your Bibles right now. Let's get into the Bible. Open your Bibles both to Luke chapter 1, but also open to 1 Samuel chapter 1. They're not close to each other, so take a moment to try to find those. Luke chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's start in Luke chapter 1. The gospel of Luke, which is a gospel about the story of Jesus, doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins with a couple called Zachariah and Elizabeth. So, so Luke, who is, who, if you put Luke in Acts, Luke wrote Luke, Luke wrote Acts. It's 25% of the New Testament. And Luke decides that when he opens up the gospel and he starts telling the story of Jesus, he's not going to begin with Jesus as an adult. He's going to begin with this older couple. Matthew doesn't tell you about Elizabeth. Mark doesn't tell you about Elizabeth. John doesn't tell you about Elizabeth. But for Luke, Luke was like, man, you know, when I tell the story of Jesus, people need to know who this woman Elizabeth was. In Luke chapter 1 verse 5, what you read is Elizabeth is a wife. She's a wife of a priest. Elizabeth also was in the family line of Aaron and that meant something. That's like one of those connections. If you're in a restaurant and you're like, I'm in the family line of Aaron, that could get you a, some free queso. It could get you a nice piece of cheesecake at the end for free. Like I'm in the family line of Aaron, that meant something. And then you also read something about her character. And it doesn't just tell you about her husband Zachariah's character. What chapter 1 verse 5 through 7 tells you is Elizabeth was a righteous woman before God. She, she, was, she uh, was obedient before the Lord, faithful to God. She wanted to obey the commands of God. She's a woman of deep integrity, deep character. And then the Bible tells you she was barren. She was older in age and she hadn't had any children, which in her time was a disgrace. But then you go on to read about this miracle that comes to Elizabeth and then you just see these statements of faith that come from her. In Luke chapter 1 verse 25, what it says is this. Now, her niece Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Elizabeth's house and here's what it says. When Elizabeth is with child, Luke 1 25, the Lord has done this for me. The statement of belief in God, God has done this for me. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then in Luke chapter 141, when Mary, her niece, comes to her house, Mary's pregnant, Elizabeth is pregnant. It says this, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The first person in the gospel of Luke. So even for some of the younger people, younger children watching this right now, you can use this as Bible trivia for people one day. The first person in the gospel of Luke to be filled with the Holy Spirit is an older woman who couldn't have any children. It was Elizabeth. It, it, there are references to one day John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are references to Mary one day being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the first person you read of the Holy Spirit being with them is Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 143, it says, but here's, this is Elizabeth talking, but why, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord 
The mother of my Lord should come to me. She knows something is happening in the story of God. She's a part of it. And she's already declaring that what is in your womb, Mary, is going to be my Lord, our Savior, for the rest of our lives. He's the Messiah who is coming. In Luke 1.45, Elizabeth says this over Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. There is this prophetic insight. She knows God is on the move. And then later on it says that she took Mary into her home for three months. So an older woman who is now pregnant honors hospitality for a younger pregnant woman for three months. And who knows what all that meant. But taking care of Mary, providing her with meals, just this hospitable presence. And from Elizabeth comes the prophet John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. Now there's a very similar story to this if you go all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now 1 Samuel is one of the most important books of the Old Testament. 1 and 2 Samuel give us King David and who David was. This man after God's own heart. It talks about King Saul and of course the prophet Samuel. But 1 Samuel doesn't begin with David and 1 Samuel doesn't begin with Samuel. 1 Samuel 1 begins with this woman named Hannah. And in, in chapter 1 verse 2 what it says is Hannah was married and Hannah was barren. She couldn't have any children. And she ends, uh, Hannah's husband actually has two wives, which usually didn't work out well. And the other wife was able to have babies, and the other wife was using that against Hannah as almost this rivalry, like, I can have babies, but you can't. Chapter 1, verse 7, what you read is this. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord... So it's not just that Hannah was following her husband into the house of the Lord. Whenever Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord. And then you begin to read about Hannah before God. And the way she, she would pray. That she, would, she stood up in anguish. And she wept before God. And in verse 9 through 11, Hannah in prayer makes this vow before God. That if you give me a child, I'm going to give that child right back to you. God, if you give me a child... This child's going to go straight to the temple to minister before the Lord for the rest of his life. That was her commitment to God. You give me a baby, I'm giving the baby right back to you. And there is the family was eating a meal. It says Hannah stood up and she begins praying to God. But as she was praying to God, her lips were moving, but no words were coming out of her mouth. So she's pouring out her soul before the Lord and the priest thinks Hannah's drunk. And this isn't the only time people thought, that good godly people were drunk. There are times people thought Jesus was a drunkard. There are times where uh, the, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God broke out on the church, people thought that because the Spirit of God came upon those people that they were drunk. But it wasn't because Hannah had a mimosa for breakfast and she hadn't had too many martinis. It was the Spirit of God coming upon her life. The priest comes and says, why are you drunk? And her response is, not so, my Lord. In verse 15, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I've come back to that multiple times over the last few weeks. Hannah went before God with her anguish and her grief, pouring out her heart, pouring out her soul to God. And in verse 18, what it says, she said this, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then uh, the priest said that to Hannah. May the servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way. And here's what she did. She ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. 
And I don't know if Hannah at this point believed that a miracle was coming in her life or just the peace of God came over her. She ate something. She wasn't downcast anymore. And the very next verse was the next morning they woke up and they worshiped God. In chapter 2, you end up seeing Hannah with this long prayer. It's the first woman in the Bible who you read what she prayed. Now, there were multiple women throughout the Bible up to this point who sung songs to God. This is the first time you see a woman pouring out her heart and you read what she prayed before God, and it's Hannah. Chapter 2, you have that. And the last verse you have of Hannah and the entire Bible is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 21, where it says, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. And she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And, and meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. She fulfilled her vow to God. You give me a child, that first child, it's coming right back to you. And she did it. Here are two paths of two women in the Bible, Elizabeth and Hannah. Both of them righteous before God, obedient before the Lord, had hearts that knew how to cry out to God, and both of them were barren, which in their time, there was disgrace that came with that, pain, Social isolation, there was disappointment. What amazes me about both of these women, a miracle ended up coming in their life. And for every woman who's righteous before God, that miracle may not come. For them, the miracle ended up coming, but what inspires me about Elizabeth and Hannah isn't how they behaved before God after the miracle baby came into their life. It's how they behaved and acted before God before the miracle came. The character that was there. The faithfulness, the crying out to God, the pouring out their heart, that's what inspires me. Now, no doubt they suffered from disappointment throughout their lives of even how they prayed and probably how they thought about God. Just disappointment was there. Let me talk about disappointment for a moment. Jonathan Merritt in his latest book called um, Speaking God, Learning to Speak God from Scratch has a chapter on disappointment. One of the best chapters I've read in all the books I've read in 2020. This was one of the best chapters in any of them. Disappointment is linked to your levels of dopamine, which is the brain's pleasure chemical which releases during positive experiences. So the thing with dopamine is it doesn't just react to your positive experiences. Dopamine often tries to predict your positive experiences. So whenever I called Casey to ask her on a date because text messaging, text messaging didn't exist yet, dopamine was whenever that phone rang and I thought it was Casey. Everything in me was getting excited. And then what happens sometimes with dopamine is it's predicting your reaction. It's predicting your experience. So to answer a phone and it ends up being a telemarketer. The disappointment you may feel. Uh, it's when you order something on Amazon and there, the doorbell rings and you think, okay, this is it. This is what I just ordered on Amazon. And you open the door and it's like a new phone book that arrived. Or it's Kroger coupons that are now in the mail. And some of you get the Kroger coupons and it's a disappointment. Some of you, that may be more exciting than getting an Amazon package. I don't know. Your brain generates expectations about the future. And before something happens, your dopamine level begins to rise in response to your expectations. So what happens sometimes is this. Sometimes life doesn't give us what we expect. Life makes a turn. Losing may hurt worse than we thought it would, especially when you didn't think a loss was coming in your life sometime soon. And Jonathan Merritt says this in his book, Perhaps the greatest threat of faith is not doubting God, but being disappointed with God. 
And Elizabeth and Hannah, no doubt there were moments in their lives where they were disappointed of just how life was going for them. We're in a series right now called Paths. And for them, the paths that they were on aren't the paths that they had chosen. This isn't the life they had chosen. Yet what inspires me is the faith that they had in their lives before the miracle. It's the faith they had in God, the faith they kept in God, even when the breakthrough hadn't come yet. It's the faith they had in God before the breakthrough. Because sometimes what we think is, God, bring a breakthrough in my life, and then my faith will increase, the time I give to you will increase, my commitment to the church will increase, my commitment to generosity and tithing will increase. God, just bring the breakthrough. But real faith that you see in people like Elizabeth and Hannah is, God, whether the breakthrough comes or not, all I know in my life is to stay faithful to you. All I know in my life is to continue to to obey you. God, my confession isn't changing. Whether breakthrough comes or not, I'm committed to you. And for Elizabeth and Hannah, it seems that their relationship with God is something that helped them learn to carry the pain they experienced in their lives for years. To carry the pain. There's a movie that came out back in 2010 called Rabbit Hole. It's played by Nicole Kidman. She won numerous awards for this, even though it didn't make a lot of money uh, in, in the box office. She plays a woman in this movie. Uh, her character's named Becca. And early in the movie, Becca and her husband had a small child. And I believe he was four years old when he ran out into his street and was struck by a, a, a teenage driver. Lost his life. So it's a movie about how this marriage, how, how this husband and wife grieve and how they're often on different pages in a grief journey. Now Becca's mother had a 30-year-old son. So Becca's brother, her mom's son, died in his 30s of an overdose. And Becca's dad, so her mom's husband, had lost his life too. So her mom also had her grief journey. And there's one moment that they're up in the attic. And they're standing there and they're looking at these boxes just full of stuff. And Becca, Nicole Kidman's character, looks at her mom and says, Does it ever go away? Does it ever go away? It was her way of saying, like, does it ever get easier? Does the pain in the grief, does it ever get easier? And her mom said, No, it doesn't. But you learn to carry it. It doesn't get easier. But you learn to carry it. And the illustration she used is, what it feels like is that someone sewed a brick into your pocket. And at first when that brick is in your pocket, it's sewed there and you can't get it out. You all, like every moment of the day, you know it's there. But then you wake up one morning and you forget that the brick is there. Until you reach your hand in your pocket to get a Kleenex. And then you're reminded of the brick that, that you're carrying. Or some days you wake up and you forget about it and then you bump into a counter in the kitchen and you're reminded that the brick is there. And it's there and you can't get rid of it, but you learn to carry it. And I think it's so true in life, whether it's grief that has hit you because of the loss of a loved one or just the pain sometimes that we carry because of disappointment or whatever it may be, that we learn to carry the pain. God helps us carry the pain. And the church comes alongside of one another to help us to learn how to carry the pain. Faith in God always leads us to God. And every once in a while, faith in God is going to produce a miracle. 
But even when faith in God doesn't lead to a miracle, faith in God is going to lead us to God. And this is where I think Elizabeth and Hannah can be an inspiration for us today and be a voice for us today. They are a voice for anyone who has ever experienced a season in their life of disappointment or life wasn't going my way, but I'm going to stay faithful to God anyway. Whether the miracle comes or not, they're this inspiration. And Elizabeth and Hannah are also reminders of there are times when the light, when life does not go the way we think life's going to go. There are times where this world is not working the way God intended for this world to work. And there are times where the things that happen in this world aren't going to be what God's future world is going to be for us. But this is the life we're trying to live now. So we open our eyes and we look around and we see the impact of COVID-19 and we see these other things going on in our world. And over this past week, we see about Ahmaud Arbery's, uh, this tragic murder that has happened in Georgia and it's filling up our news feeds and we're reminded this world is not as it should be. And all we can do is press into God, that God come and make the wrongs right. And until you do, God teaches what it means to be faithful and obedient to you. Because there are times, man, this life hurts. At least once a year, the four of us, Casey and Trude and Noah, we go and, uh, at least for our family, we have decided every year to get flu shots. And the times we go, we'll get shots. And the question will be asked, is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? And then which the response is, it's going to hurt just for a minute, but we're going to be here and to hold your hands. So that's usually when Truett and Noah and Casey look at me and they're like, Dad, we're going to be here for you. Yeah, it's going to hurt, Dad. We're going to be here for you. But whether it's going to a dentist or to a doctor, there are times that your children look at you and they may ask, is it going to hurt? Whatever is about to happen, is this going to hurt? And there are times we can't lie. There are times the answer is, yeah, it's going to hurt. But it's not going to last long. It's going to hurt, but it's not going to last forever. And the season we're in right now, or the season you are on that may have nothing to do with COVID-19, it may hurt, but it's not going to last forever. It's not going to be there for eternity. So let Hannah and let Elizabeth serve as an inspiration for you that even before the miracle and breakthrough came, they were people who were righteous before God, faithful before God. God, use us in your life. God, just my heart's going to be poured out to you and for you. Let them serve as an inspiration that they refused to let any circumstances define who they were before God. And they knew how to express their faith. And you may be watching right now thinking, how do I express the faith that I'm feeling right now? What do I do with this? We have a help form on our website. You can comment in any of the uh, forms you are watching right now. If you're on Facebook, you can send a direct message. If you have never made a decision for Jesus, we would love to help you live into what a covenant with Jesus and a life with Jesus needs to look like. And if there are any other ways we can help you in your life, please reach out to us and, and let us do that. For many of us, this COVID-19 journey here at Sycamore View began back in January when we had a woman who came from... Uh, who came from Asia, who had connections over there, who had family members and friends who were impacted by the coronavirus overseas. And this was before a lot of us had even heard about it. And she made a decision that right there in her life at that time, she needed to surrender her life to Jesus. And her baptism here in this church back in January was the first that some of us heard about the coronavirus. 
And maybe this is a season that has been stirring in your heart. Okay, it's time for me to take, it's time for me to take life more seriously. It's time for me to take faith more seriously. And if so, we would help, love to help you live into that covenant. As we transition into a communion thought in just a moment, and we have a friend who's going to lead us in communion this morning, can you bow your heads and let's just have a word of prayer right now. God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you give the people watching right now a sense of your abiding presence, that you give them the perseverance they need to keep clinging to you even if life doesn't make sense. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.